I'm so glad you've taken the opportunity to join us in this brand new series we call Separation of Church and Hate. Now, this may be one of the most challenging messages that we've had to do in a while because we're stepping into an election season. And whose idea was it anyway to pick this series in the middle of an election season? Well, nonetheless, let me share a little bit about who we are as a church and what you can expect over the next four weeks. First and foremost, we are not really known as a political church. You're not going to hear the endorsement of any one particular candidate or a party. Uh, You're not even going to see us hand out political flyers or, or try and promote certain candidates in the midst of this. You know, we're a church that really wants to surrender our lives, all of our life, to Jesus. And so that means that when we look back at the words of Jesus, the truth that Jesus spoke, We need to understand that it was political somewhat in his time. It stirred up the season of the day, but it was to take the current dynamic and to raise their view into the expectation of what the kingdom of God may look like. It's it's also important for us to understand that for us as a church, it is important for us to understand that our view of the world should first and foremost be shaped by Jesus, not by our politics. And let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, You can find scripture that supports different issues in each party. If I wanted to create a message that talked about caring for the oppressed or helping those in need or what it means to value human life or uh, the stewardship of the environment of our world or how to be fiscally responsible, I could get up and preach a message that maybe went a little more red or maybe went a little more blue. But what we always want to do is actually be able to leverage our conversation from Scripture about Jesus. Because Jesus' words then and Jesus' words today in Scripture help us understand how to live out our lives in this political season. Now, over the next few weeks, we're actually going to talk a little bit about civility. That's our topic today. Dignity next week, humility, and then unity. And these are values that often get lost in this season. All you have to do is jump on social media. There's a mic drop here, a mic drop there. There's all these memes being posted to try and convince you one way or another. And let's talk about TV for a moment and every ad that smears a little bit more one way or another. Truth is... There's probably one group here that really wants us to talk about politics and are hoping that we're going to speak to the direction that you want to hear. And another group is going to be fearful of what we talk about, uncomfortable with even addressing politics. But we should not be fearful. And we should recognize that Jesus does not represent a two-party system. Matter of fact, Jesus is not even American. But here's the question. Here's the challenge. Are you willing to put your faith filter in front of your political filter? I mean, that's what we want to ask for the next few weeks as we walk through this series for the sake of humanity, for the sake of the gospel, for the opportunity as followers of Jesus to be able to speak into the lives around us. Can we be the kind of people that speak with great civility towards one another? And not get caught up all the, the jibber-jabber, all the, all the controversial stuff, but be able to speak beyond the red and blue and two people 
about the world around us, about the church, our faith, and the climate and culture that we are a part of today. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. And James chapter 1 is actually a book written by the brother of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus had a brother. Jesus, of course, being of God and Mary. Uh, and, and then James being born of Joseph and Mary. In that dynamic, there's this conversation that James actually um, begins to describe what the life with Jesus should look like. Now, matter of fact, what we have to recognize, though, is that James, as the brother of Jesus, didn't really begin to follow after Jesus until after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, would you want to follow after your older brother, who is the Messiah of the world, did everything right? James, though, speaks with a sense of candor because of the clarity and understanding of who Jesus was and how Jesus came, gave his life on our behalf, actually became a leader within the church universal in Jerusalem. But he writes his book uh, to a church, the book of James, to a church that's in a little bit of upheaval, divisiveness is everywhere. The rich and the poor, favorites, the oppressed and the, and, and the oppressor. All these people are coming to faith and understanding this new life in the gospel. And what's happening in the midst of all of that is that the way of Jesus is transforming how they treat one another. Civility becomes a part of their maturity. And they begin to recognize that the way of Jesus is not divisiveness or greater volume or the chance to burn somebody on the internet, but it's to speak directly by listening first. Here's what it says in James chapter one. It says it this way. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, meaning this is on the test. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now wait, you're reading this passage and you're going, this doesn't talk about politics at all. Nope, it doesn't. But I believe this passage begins to talk about a mindset, a posture that we need to take on as God-fearing people, as Christians, followers after the way of Jesus, that we can begin to diffuse the tension of the day. We can begin to speak as Jesus did. Oh, while the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poured, uh, segregations of classes of people, the oppressed feeling the oppressor, James begins to articulate in this environment where everyone has value because of the cross of Jesus. What would it look like for us to interact together, to live out in a community of faith where civility was the priority? And we have a... De we have a tendency in today's world, whether it be social media or even in the environment, whether we're watching the news or whether we're face-to-face -face with people, that as soon as an idea or as soon as something different comes into our world, we attack it. There's not much dialogue. There's not much relationship in that moment. And as Christ followers, it could, it could do us a lot of benefit to maybe back up a little bit, to take a deep breath, to hear people in their story and recognize that beyond what's being said, beyond the ideas that are being shared, there is a person 
with a story and an experience that is trying to be conveyed. How do we respond to one another in this political climate then? Civility is going to be the discussion point for today. But James gets very specific on what it can look like. Let's look at these passages again. And James 1.19 says it this way. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. All of us should listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness, the right living obedience that God desires for all of us. See, there's three responses when we're speaking about civility that's happening in this passage. And the first is this, that we would be quick to listen. Our natural response when something comes across our screen or across our ears or across our TV screen, that we would respond first and foremost just to hear things out. Listening, this word here, does not mean to agree or to condone. No, what it means is to hear in understanding. Our first posture should be to listen, not to defend and not to confront, not to address. And we should be connected to people who think differently than us. It should be the norm for Christians to interact with people of different values and perspectives. And as Christians, if we have surrounded by ourselves by people who think like us, act like us, talk like us, we're missing out on the great opportunity of the Great Commission, which is to go into all of the world, to begin to live out the goodness of God around us. See, we all come from different perspectives and experiences, and we all assume our experience and our perspective is correct. But when people speak, wounds are being shared, victories should be celebrated, understanding needs to be embraced. And we have to recognize that, that I can't hear you until you feel like I've heard you actually be able to pause in that moment. But instead what we do is we act like I can't hear you until you've heard me. It's backwards. Does this describe us as individuals? Are we more defensive than taking a natural posture to hear people out? Quick to listen, quick to listen is what James challenges to. And second of all, he says, and slow to speak. Literally, uh, the idea is to be late in the conversation. I mean, almost to the point that a response is expected. And then we would jump in, right? We have a, a little bit of a practice that we do within our staff. It's called wait. And literally, sometimes you'll see our staff with W-A-I-T written on their hands. And it says, why am I talking? We use that for our meetings so that we're not just jumping in and responding, but we're hearing What's being shared? Now, how do I do this? How do I begin to be, um, how, do, how do I begin to be the kind of person that doesn't jump in right away so that when I do speak, I have thought about what I want to say? So many times we're waiting for a pause in the conversation to just jump in and respond or hit share on social media, right? Uh, James talks a little bit about this dynamic of the tongue in his third chapter of his book, 
When he says the, the tongue is, is like three different things. It's like, it's like the bit in the mouth of a horse. It can guide it wherever it wants to go. He talks about how it's like a rudder. It's, it helps guide the ship and help it go where it needs to go. Or he says, uh, you know, the tongue is like a spark. You know, that's my favorite illustration out of James chapter 3 is that the tongue is like a spark. You know, as soon as you light a match, as soon as a spark is struck, do you know what the flame does? Exactly what it's intended to do. It burns. It burns. You know, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes when we are not quick to listen, but we are quick to speak, our intent is to burn. To light that spark, to hit that zinger. James unpacks this a little bit in chapter 4 when he just says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle from within? You desire what you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. I'm learning in my own life that those who are prone to talk first are prone to hurt others most. Those who are prone to talk first are prone to hurt others most. Third of all, he says, be slow to become angry. Now, anger has its place. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Jesus became angry. But anger is intended to be a gift from God to help us recognize and respond when there is injustice in our world. One writer in, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, he says, we're the kind of people that should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbor. That in our anger, we should not sin. We shouldn't even let the sun go down on our anger and give the devil a foothold. See, the, the issue is, are we responding from a personal anger, a human anger, or are we responding because we know the character of God would say, that's not right? There's two kinds of angers. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's the algorithm towards civility, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. One of the, my favorite people in my life is a man by the name of Bob Hawes. He has passed, passed on since, the, since when I knew him. He was an elder at Second Church of Christ in Danville, Illinois, and I love this man dearly. I stayed at his house, got to know him and his wife, and just grew uh, close to him. But while I was there, uh, I was the youth pastor for some years in the late 90s. We would do this large gathering. It was a lock-in for middle school students, and we had about 300 students that came to this event. We had gathered some area churches to be a part of it. It was a huge party. We had comedians and basketball tournaments and all sorts of things that we did at this event. But uh, needless to say, after 300 middle school, middle school students go through an auditorium in a church building, it can look like a tornado came through. I mean, the pencils in the back of the pews were broken. Pieces of paper were scribbled on. Hymnals were kind of knocked over, and some were even on the floor. And while my staff went through and kind of put things back together, we clearly did not do a heavy-duty cleaning. So there I sat in an elders meeting one night, just describing how God had just brought so many students. It was just an incredible night. And, and Bob was just sitting at the end of the table and just kind of acting like, well, yeah, I bet it was great. 
See, Bob and Betty came in the next morning and they literally went through and took every pencil out of the back of the pews and sharpened them and got them ready for Sunday, put in fresh new pieces of paper. We got to the end of the elders meeting and everybody had been very complimentary. It had been a good night. And the chairman of the elders just said, hey, does anybody have anything else they want to share? And Bob kind of sits up his chair and leans forward. And Bob didn't speak much, but when he spoke, it meant a lot. The entire group of elders leaned in and said, Bob, did you have something you you want to share? And Bob just started with this. He said, you know, uh, Betty and I showed up Saturday morning and we got to take every pencil out and sharpen every pencil. We got to take out almost every piece of paper and we saw some notes and some things that were written that, well, we don't want their moms to know about. And then he said these words, but anytime... So many middle school students are in our building and have a chance to hear about the message of Jesus. Betty and I will be here to sharpen pencils and put more paper in the back of our pews. I was humbled. I was floored. I hadn't thought a lot about what it was going to take to clean up. I had only thought about the crowds that were showing up. I was exhausted. I was ready to get home. But one of our elders saw the greater vision uh, that the things, the ruckus, the fun that we had, all of it was just a vehicle to get to the front of how do we reach as many students for Jesus. See, here's what Bob really embodied for me is that we can understand one another when we listen. I'm sure Bob was pretty frustrated. I wouldn't want my wife having to go to such extreme to get things taken care of, but, but there he was, serving on a Saturday. But he took the time to listen. He didn't jump in in his frustration. And when he did speak, there was really no anger. What there was was a humble heart, grateful to see people led to Jesus. James has more to say about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says this in verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. In order to respond with civility, there's something we must do internally. Not just publicly or personally between each other. There's something we have to do to prepare our hearts He addresses that we've got to throw off, we've got to get rid of, we've got to throw out the moral filth. This is the word of dishonor, to dishonor yourself. The decisions, the actions, the the things that lead us towards the life that dishonors God and ourselves. The words we say, the actions that we express, the emotions that get the best of us. We need to get rid of the evil. It's kind of the word malice. It literally means this desire to get back at somebody. Retribution, revenge. These are two words that while they're not posted on social media, they are part of the fuel of social media. Have you ever noticed how every time you click on a certain news article or a certain set of information, it seems like your news feed just gets filled with that? They call it clickbait, right? Things that feed our conspiracy theories or our political ambitions or our opinions and directions. 
And what we do is we consume, consume, consume more of ourself to the point that sometimes we hit share, sometimes we uh, post a nasty comment, sometimes we retaliate in a post. But James says, besides getting rid of the moral filth and the evil, he challenges us to embrace humility. To embrace humility. In two weeks, we're going to unpack an in-depth conversation of, of lessening the high view of ourselves and raising the value of who God is and the people around us. But one of the things that we talk about with humility oftentimes, we kind of think, well, that maybe I just need to, to throw out what I believe in. Maybe I just need to stop being a Christian. Maybe I just need to stop thinking. And that's not what, that's not what James is asking us to throw out. Matter of fact, there's, there's a young man, Gabriel Salguero. He's the head of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition. He's a writer, an author, a pastor. And what he describes for Christians when it comes to civility is this idea of convility. Convility, it's the convergence of two words. That as Christians, we can hold on to our conviction and live in civility. What does it look like for us to do that? How do we play that out? I mean, as Christ followers, we need to be the kind of people that know what we believe and, and live the truth that Jesus has placed in us. Isn't that what he talks about? To let the word of God planted in you, take root in you, to save you in the way that you live, not only saving you from yourself, but living out the salvation, the truth of the gospel in our lives. There is a way for us to authentically live out our faith, to honor the people around us. But we have to recognize a few things. And first is that, you know, challenging times are going to require us to change our responses. We can't continue to be the people who are yelling and screaming and shouting and posting and arguing because it does nothing. And disagreements become attacks and judgments Instead of opportunities for us to pause, to listen, to learn, we begin to disengage when we disagree. How we treat people, how we treat the people that we disagree with says so much about the state of our hearts. Everyone has a view, has an opinion that they think makes sense to them. And so we need to be cautious, not to retaliate, to recognize how we want to respond. I mean, think about it this way. Their opinion is not yours, but your response is. Their opinion is not yours, but your response is. They can have their own opinion, but we must own our own response. We need to begin to think about before we, re we do anything, oh, is the response that we're going to have if we're going to live in a civil way towards the people around us, especially the ones who think differently than us. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is this something that's personal? Let me say it this way. Maybe this is how we can best respond. First and foremost, we need to pause before we post. We need to pause before we post. If we're trying to figure out if it's, if it's true or help, helpful or, or loving, we need to pause. 
We need to literally arrest the thoughts that we have in our minds and stop them before we just react. When we recognize if this is an, a, per, a personal affront or a personal statement, we need to recognize that personal issues, personal statements should happen in proximity. They should happen over a, a cup of coffee, a face-to-face conversation, but not in a, a social media blast, not in a negative comment. The open foyer of argument not only doesn't win anyone to your cause, it exposes the dynamic of division in our community. Second of all, we need to think before we talk. One writer in scripture talks about the way that we should think. And he just says, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure or lovely or admirable, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy. These are the things that we should think about. And we need to raise the way that we think. Because when we lower ourselves to the retaliation and to the critical thought, to the mudslinging, we're not thinking in a way that's honoring God, let alone the people that we're interacting with. Third of all, I think we need to relax before we respond. We need to take a deep breath. We need to take a deep breath. One writer in scripture in 1 Peter, he says it this way, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, would be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, if we do this, civility begins to make a way for love to take root in the lives around us. The seed of God's goodness that's been planted in our lives that begins to grow us, mature us in the likeness of Christ begins to Let civility begin to clear the very air, to clear out our mind and our thoughts and our emotions, to let things settle for just a moment so that maybe Jesus is seen in this madness of the world that we're a part of today. Here's our goal. This is our prayer for this series. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally. This is our goal. To learn how to disagree politically and yet love one another unconditionally. You know, there's a lot at stake in this season right now. Most of us are thinking, uh, maybe we want a candidate in or we want a candidate out. Or maybe we're trying to get certain policies taken care of. And those those are important. But here's what's at stake for the church. The church will either win or lose in this season based on How we treat one another, not by who gets in office, 
It'll be in the way that we interact on social media. It'll be the way that we, the way we engage those who think differently than us, who act differently than us, who vote differently than us. We need to recognize that this is a moment for the mission of the church for us to help each other follow Jesus, to disengage from the criticism and the negativity, and to begin to find ways to bring peace, civility, love, and understanding to the table. Perhaps we need to refrain from social media. Perhaps we need to reach out to our neighbor, our coworker, and to live in a posture of love to the world around us. Let me close with some words real quick. Can I do this? The writer of the book of Ephesians, a church in Ephesus, says something very similar to the algorithm of James. You know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and then get rid of these things so that we can embrace humility. Here's what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. You're only going to find those out if you listen. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed with at the day of re- uh, for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Civility. That's what God's calling us to. And perhaps if we remember the forgiveness given to us by Jesus, we can learn how to be civil and forgive others. Let's move to our time of response. I think for many of us who've given our lives to Christ, we're reminded when we go back to that passage in John that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That verse is common to many of us. But it's always been the verse after it that seemed to strike me. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And yet, when the world oftentimes thinks about Christians or Christ followers, the word Condemnation is attached to it. It's tragic. Because the posture of God is one that in his righteousness, he knows that the grace he's given us, we don't deserve. The sacrifice that he gave, we did nothing to merit it. And yet God chose civility towards us that he would send Jesus, that Jesus would die our death, pay for our sins, and through his resurrection would give us life everlasting. And so how could we choose anything but that same posture of grace, that same life of sacrifice to live 
a life of civility, even in a very charged and challenging season. You know, Jesus gathered his followers together, and in our response time, we reflect on that. When Jesus gathered them together and they were celebrating the Passover, the moment when the nation of Israel celebrates the deliverance that they had from Egypt and their bondage. And Jesus said, you know, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Take and eat. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the wine or the cup. And just as the blood had been shed over the doorpost as a marker of God's deliverance through that time in the plague in Egypt, Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And we cannot eat the bread and drink the juice without being reminded what God has done for us. Through his civility, through his sacrifice, and through his love, we have a relationship with him. We've encouraged you to download the First Christian app. Uh, you can find it at any of your uh, app stores, First Christian, Champagne, or Urbana. And that is a resource that you can use for your own personal discipleship and for us to be able to respond. And one of the ways that we continue to respond is specifically through our giving. We cannot say thank you enough for the generosity of those who have just said in the middle of COVID, we are in it to help the mission of Christ. And you have afforded us not only the privilege to continue to move forward, to care for our staff, to keep ministries going forward, but to extend ourselves whether it be to help the hungry in our community or overseas, whether it has been to encourage some of our mission partners who ha have noticed that other givers have not been able to stay on board, you have fueled our church, but more importantly, the mission of God. And if you call First Christian Church your home, this is a way to support the mission of what God is doing, whether it be locally or whether it be globally. But we need to say thank you because it is in our civility and in our sacrifice that the love of God is extended in these challenging moments. Last of all, maybe there's a decision of faith to make. Maybe you've been wrestling with whether or not to give your life to Christ, to be buried in the waters of baptism. Maybe you've got a prayer request that you wanna submit. Whether you're online with us and you wanna use uh, fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday, you can respond there. But the easiest way, the most connected way, is to do it through our app. We'll pray for you on our Tuesdays as our staff get together. We'll follow up with your requests and decisions. But for all of us, every time God prompts us, challenges us, convicts us, we should not waste that moment without responding. We should, in turn, find a way to engage and grow together as individuals and as a community of faith.